believe you're going to love today's episode with Gabby Ruth. She talks to us about regulating our nervous system, whether or not you've had trauma, to have your nervous system be in its optimal state, techniques to get it out of fight or flight. It's like taking your nervous system to the gym, and she's going to teach us how to do that today. This episode is brought to you by my favorite gut health products. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for up to 40% off your first order. But so much of our health is really dependent on our gut health. And the American diet depletes a lot of what we need. This system really helps weed out the bad bacteria and then seed and feed the good bacteria. This helps so much. I've noticed a difference in better sleep, more energy, and better skin. And I'm excited to share it with you today. I've got a question for you. Who's the person you're being? Are you satisfied? It's okay. This is a judge-free zone, and it's exactly why I started the show. Welcome to Be The Person, a podcast for the brave and the curious who are ready to explore who they are fully created to be. I'm your host, Annie Randall, the adventurous one leading this investigative journey of transformation. By delving into topics and asking unexpected questions, we will discover the keys for unlocking our true potential and being our best selves today. You may be surprised by what you find when you let go of fear in order to discover the answers of becoming the person you were made to be. Thanks for joining in to Be The Person podcast. I am super excited to have Gabby Ruth here with us today. She is a personal friend. She also is an author, a speaker. She hosts Pain to Passion podcast, and she really has overcome trauma herself. She calls herself the Trauma Mama, and I love that nickname, but she's also studied for a lot of years and helped so many women overcome trauma. And I think oftentimes we think we can stuff it down and it comes back in. And Gabi is amazing at helping people deal with all these things. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Annie. That was such a kind introduction. I'm so flattered. Thank you. (laughs) I'm thrilled you're here today because I think so many people deal with trauma. And this month, we're really focused on overcoming obstacles. And the first one is overcoming trauma. It might be big T trauma, little T trauma, but I know your story has trauma in it as well. And I would love our listeners just to get to know you a little bit more and share your story. Absolutely. I would be honored. There's really no start to my story. That's the interesting thing about complex trauma, which is really where I specialize, is you can't really point to a beginning or an end. Complex trauma is really for those of us who were born into chaotic family systems, which is my story. So I didn't really know that I had a trauma history until I was in my 30s and was able to actually look back and name it. And that was simply because I actually adopted a child 
who had a trauma history and I recognized myself in him, which is a whole story in itself. We can totally go into that if you want to. But my history was just growing up in chronic chaos. Everything was unpredictable. My caregivers, they were safe one minute and dangerous the next minute. I had to become hypervigilant at a very early age, which basically just means I was always scanning the facial expressions, the tone of voice of the people around me to see what I could do to change my behavior in order to stay safe. And that really traumatically wires your brain against connection and attachment to people. And again, I didn't really realize that I had deficiencies or that something was wrong with me because of what I had experienced until I entered my 30s and started seeing the symptoms really up close and personal as a parent. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know you mentioned it was through the adoption. How did you start to recognize that you did have trauma? Yeah, it's so crazy. Of course, I could look back and see that there were things that weren't what you would call normal in my growing up life. But the narrative that had been woven was that everything was perfect. We're all Christians. We go to church. We spend time together. So everything's fine. But it wasn't fine. I could feel that. But when we brought our son home, our son Emmanuel home from Ethiopia, he was only 15 months old and our agency had not really given us any information about what could happen with an adoptee. So we were completely naive when he came home, to be honest. But then I could feel within two weeks of him coming home, I could feel that there was something off. I couldn't name it. I didn't know what it was. He was my first kid, too. So I was like, maybe this is normal. Like, you can feel it in your gut as a mom when something is off. And it was years before we had any professional validate what I was feeling. Most professionals were like, oh, it's normal. Every 18-month-old acts this way. Every two-year-old acts this way. Every four-year-old acts this way. And I kept advocating there's something that is not right. This is not right. And without going into details, it was, it was really just I found out eventually that he had never learned how to have a healthy attachment with anybody. But his struggles that he was dealing with were hitting up against me in such a way that I was finding it very hard to function in day-to-day -day life, let alone be a mom. I had a biological daughter a year after he came home too, so it was just like a whirlwind. And when I started to do the research and find out what trauma can do to a baby's brain and how challenging that makes attachment and how it can even make you feel afraid of intimacy, I was like, oh, shoot, I have the same issues as he has. But I'm an adult. He's a child. I need to do something about this. He can't do anything. The only person in this situation who can do something is me. So I went out there, I got equipped with appropriate parenting tools, but I also started going to therapy. I started doing research about my own issues. I discovered complex PTSD and realized that was what I was dealing with. And it revolutionized my life completely to learn about what goes on in your brain, what attachment looks like, what happens in your nervous system when you go through traumatic events. And it's changed everything for our family. I think I probably parent completely differently than I would have if I hadn't adopted. 
because it forced me to look this ugliness in the face and say, we've got to do something about this. If we don't, we're not going to make it. So pretty, pretty amazing, actually, how all of that came about. That is amazing that you recognized in yourself that through the adoption and through your son, that you had all of this personally going on. Yeah. When you grow up in a household, you just have no idea. We all think it's normal what we grow up with. We don't know any different. Exactly. Yeah. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through and also the most important thing as far as bringing me to a place where I could actually be a healthy and whole person. I couldn't have done it otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And just to feel like you've healed and now you can speak and parent differently to your son to help him heal as well. Yeah. It's revolutionized both of our lives. I can say that for sure. Could you actually see a shift in yourself going from not being able to attach, although you didn't even know that, Mm -hmm. to having healthy relationships, being able to attach and just see and experience people differently? Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you the difference that it's made. It's not an overnight thing because what's happening when you dig into that healing work is you're literally rewiring your physiological brain structure and that takes time. So you don't see the results quickly, but as you look back, you can see how you're reacting and responding differently. The biggest relationship that changed was the relationship with me. Because I started to trust myself. I started to value myself. And when you trust yourself and value yourself, you show up in relationships differently. You expect different things from relationships. Where before I would do absolutely anything for anyone to make sure that they were happy. Now I can recognize if someone is just wanting something from me or trying to manipulate me, or even if they're a great person but it's just not a good match for me. This isn't where I want to be heading. This isn't the kind of people that I want to be around. I have such a healthier attachment with myself (laughs) that I show up in the world in a way where I'm like, I'm Gobby and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. And I can confidently move forward in a healthy way in relationships. But I also have learned like trust is a process because I would be tempted to just try to trust people immediately with everything, which you wouldn't really think that's an attachment thing, but it is. It's called anxious attachment, where you just are like, okay, you're cool. We vibe. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to offer you all of my emotions, everything. And then you find out, oh, this person's not trustworthy. So now I trust like trust is built over time and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually good to take time to learn to trust people. And the people who are meant to be in your life will go with you through that process. They're not going to leave you behind, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think that's so important because learning to trust or trusting again, if you've been hurt, you mm-hmm. really process that I it think is. will go through and so many people struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And again, give yourself so much grace if you're in that process because it takes time, but the time is so 
worth it. And if you mess up, give yourself grace there too, because you're learning. It's like learning how to do something for the first time. You're going to mess it up. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means that you're learning and that's okay. And that takes courage. It takes courage to step in and learn something new. And I know you have a coaching program. You do a lot of coaching with women to help them overcome trauma. You've Mm -hmm. even done some exercises with our mastermind group. And they Mm -hmm. were so helpful to me in just realizing, I think my body was in fight or flight after COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was a long time to get out of there. And I wish I would have had your tools. I wish I would have known you then. Yes, absolutely. So I am passionate about helping women go after their dreams while healing from their past. Because what I see a lot is that women will see, okay, I have healing to do. And this is really hard. It's hard work. And things can happen along the way that make you think, okay, my dream isn't even possible. It's never worked for me. Or every time I try to take steps towards what I want, something stops me. Like I hit a wall. Why is that? So I like to introduce women to the reason why. Like, why are you facing anxiety when you try to go after what you want? Doesn't that seem like contradictory? Shouldn't If you want it, you shouldn't have anxiety about it, right? But we do. We so do. And it's prevalent. So the ladder that you're talking about is one of my favorite things. It's such a great tool. I did not create it, but I utilize it all the time. I often talk about something called polyvagal theory, which is a really big word for basically understanding your nervous system. So your autonomic nervous system is like your own personal security system. It's always scanning your environment for signs of threat. And if it senses that something's a threat, Your brain, your thoughts aren't even going to cognitively have the chance to think about it. It's just going to send an automatic response to your body. So that ladder that you're talking about was actually created by Deb Dana, who used polyvagal theory to create this ladder just to help people understand what's going on inside your body. So the ladder, the polyvagal ladder basically tells you where you are in your nervous system and you're always somewhere on the ladder and you can only move up and down. You can't jump from top to bottom. And at the very top is what is called ventral. Ventral is the state where we all want to be, where you're feeling clear-headed. You feel like, I can do this. You're sharp. You're aware of your surroundings. You're in the present moment. That's the goal. That's where we want to be. If you move down the ladder a little bit, it's called sympathetic. And sympathetic is that fight-flight mode that you're talking about. When you get into that space, you're feeling anxious. You're feeling like you've got to do something. You're on edge. It's a spectrum. So it depends on where you are on that spectrum. But basically it's, okay, there's something off and I have to fight it or I have to get away from it. We've done that even in ways we don't recognize, like scrolling on our phones when we know we have a project due or noticing all of a sudden there's a pile of laundry that needs to be folded when you set aside today to go after your dream. <laughs> yeah. Why do we do that to ourselves? So we often shame ourselves when we do that kind of stuff saying, oh my gosh, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. I don't want this bad enough. But actually, and this is the thing that can really set people free, 
actually what's happening is your autonomic nervous system is working exactly the way that it was designed to work. It has scanned your environment, it senses a threat, and is telling you to fold the laundry or scroll because whatever you're going after is dangerous. Now we know cognitively it's not dangerous, but because of your history, whatever's happened in your history, going after something new has probably been destructive in your past. Or someone has shamed you for trying to do what you're doing now. So your system is trying to keep you from that danger. The good news is there are tools that we can use to gently partner with our nervous system instead of fight against it. Partner with it to slowly show it what I'm doing is safe now. And you slowly rewire that until you have what's called disconfirming experiences where you do the new thing for a short amount of time. You tell your system, okay, I'm safe. Look, we did this. Everything's fine again and again until that threat goes away. It's no longer on the radar. So then there's a third level on the ladder at the very bottom that's called dorsal. And that's where you go into shutdown mode. So if you were an animal, like a rabbit, and you were being chased by a fox, and you absolutely knew, like, the fox is faster than me, I'm not getting out of this, you could lay over, play dead. That's what you could say dorsal is like, where the information coming in is so threatening to your nervous system that it says, just shut down. It's safer to not feel anything right now than to experience the pain of death that is imminent is basically what your nervous system is saying. So if you've ever had chronic depression or chronic fatigue or just like total lack of energy or inspiration to do anything, that's that dorsal mode, which is where I personally lived for a long time. Everything felt like a threat for so long that I lived in depression and chronic fatigue for years. I didn't know that's what was going on, but it's because everything felt like a threat. So again, the good news is you can work your way up the ladder once you recognize, oh, this is what's happening. Yes, it still sucks that I feel depressed, but I know now that this is what's happening. This is where I am on the ladder. What tools can I access so that I can start moving up that ladder and make my way up to ventral, which is that space where you're clear-headed calm you feel like you can do this and that's the exciting part is figuring out what those tools are for you everybody's unique but there are tools that you can use so one example I love to give is when I am facing something new or I'm trying to go after something big this still happens to me I will go into shutdown mode I will go into dorsal and it will be so tempting for me to just curl up in a blanket on my couch watch Netflix and take a nap that's what my body is like telling me to do. So what I do is I go in my bathroom, literally, all I do is go in my bathroom and put on mascara. The very first thing that I do. Something about that shows my system like, oh, we're putting on mascara? That must mean we're a person and there's not a threat around us. So we're going to be okay. So one little thing at a time, which... It, the word titration is often used in this arena, but titration just means one small step at a time. Instead of saying, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this book for two hours, which you might be able to do, but then you're going to crash so hard. It's not going to be healthy for you. 
if you titrate it and do one step at a time and learn how to regulate or show your system you're safe before and after you sandwich it, regulate before, regulate after, then you can actually do the work, go after what you want to go after while partnering with your system and not actually harming yourself further. Yeah. I love just the simplicity of putting on mascara. Mm-hmm. And then so if it's you and you're thinking, okay, I want to get this thing done. I don't feel like it. I feel like watching Netflix. You put on mascara. Do you do the thing? And then what do you do afterwards if you sandwich it? Yeah. So the the putting on mascara at that point is a regulating activity. It's showing my body you're safe. Like it's okay. So I'll put on the mascara. Let's say I'm working on editing a podcast that day. And it's a big project, really exciting guest or something like that. And it makes me nervous. So I just want to shut down. So what I would do then is I'd say, okay, I'm giving myself 10 minutes to work on this. Set a timer, literally set a timer for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I can do anything for 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Do it for 10 minutes. And then if I'm feeling a little bit depleted, then I'll go outside, put my feet in the grass, take a little walk, look at the sunshine, do some breathing, come back in, do another 10 minutes. Sometimes after that 10 minutes, especially if you've repeated this process, you'll be like, oh, it was 10 minutes already. I can totally go for another 10. I feel great. Until you've done an hour before it, your body knows that you're saying, I only have to do this for this amount of time and then I'm going to do something kind and then I can do it again and do something kind. And you start to grow what's called your window of tolerance. It's expanding your window of tolerance. You're an orange theory girl. You know what it means to build strength, right? Even like lung capacity and what your heart can handle with cardio and all of that. It takes time to grow that. You have to push against the discomfort a little bit to grow. So that's the same here. You're going to push against it a little bit, a little bit at a time until it stretches, until your window is much bigger than it used to be. And you can do so much more without getting dysregulated than you used to be able to do. I think that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way because when you go to the gym and you think about, that makes sense to me, lifting weights or doing cardio, but to strengthen our nervous system isn't something that I've ever considered. Yeah. And it's a game changer when you think about it that way, because especially in this culture where there's a lot of personal development and stuff, which I'm all about, but there can be some shameful messages, especially for trauma survivors, where it's if you're not doing it, you don't want it bad enough. That's really harmful because I want it badly. What are you saying? I just literally can't do it because every time I try, I shut down. That's because you haven't gone to the nervous system gym every day. It's like telling someone, if you want it bad enough, you can lift that 300-pound barbell. No, I can't. Yes. <laughs> I have to do the work <laughs> until I get there, and it's going to take time, and that's okay. That's normal. So getting rid of those shameful messages and just thinking about it differently and being kind to yourself instead of shaming yourself, shame will only motivate you for a short amount of time compassion will motivate you forever. So learning to be compassionate to yourself instead is so helpful. So what happens if, let's say, because 
my guess is this could happen to a lot of people. I could see it in myself. If you're in dorsal, mm-hmm. you up, but then you're yeah. still in that next stage where you don't yeah. really want to be, how do you, how do you get through that stage before you get to the top? Yeah. And again, it depends on the person. It depends on the situation. But I can give you an example if you'd like, because it's true. You can't jump from dorsal to ventral. You're absolutely right. You have to go through that sympathetic. Yeah. So first, if you know this is what's happening, part of you can celebrate when you go from feeling down, depressed, and exhausted to feeling anxious. Be like, oh, we're moving up the ladder. This is a good thing. This anxiety sucks. But we're moving up the ladder. So you know what's happening, which is helpful. But here's my example. I love this example. I think I told you guys this in the class. I ski. I've only skied for the last 10 years um, because my husband taught me how to ski after we got married. So it still feels like a new thing to me every single season when I go up to the ski hill. When I get in the car, put my skis in the car and drive up the mountain, I feel exhausted, so depressed, so unmotivated because my body's saying, what the heck are you doing? taking these little sticks to slide down a mountain. This is crazy. Don't do that danger. But I know what's happening now. So I drive up the mountain and I'm telling my system like, look, see, we made it up here. (laughs) We're alive. Yeah. I grab my skis out of the back of the car and I walk up to the lift. That's when the anxiety kicks in. Okay. I've moved through dorsal. I'm in that sympathetic mode now because I've moved through it. It's like putting on the mascara. Okay. We're moving up the ladder. Now the anxiety is raring. I want to run away. I sometimes can't speak properly. (laughs) It's crazy. But I put the skis on and I get on the lift and I sit down and I go up the hill. And I kid you not, almost without fail, within probably the first or second run, I feel amazing. I'm like, oh, because I worked through it. I walked through it. I took the steps. I sat in the chair. I went up the mountain. It's like just doing the next little thing. For some of us, if you're in that sympathetic state after going through dorsal, it could be like just releasing that energy through going for a walk or working out or calling a friend. Co-regulation is a great thing. Basically, co-regulation is utilizing someone else's nervous system to help calm your own. And one of my favorite ways to co-regulate is literally just to turn on Gilmore Girls. You can co-regulate with the TV. Really? Yes. Which, again, people wouldn't usually say, yeah, turn on the TV while you're working and you'll feel better. But no. (laughs) But it's true. If there's a character on TV or you have a dog that can help you feel calmer and safe, that's going to help you get through that sympathetic and move up the ladder. So I love that skiing analogy because it's literally every single time I go from dorsal to ventral every single time. Yeah, that's such a good example. And I think I'm a super visual person. So when you're talking, I'm just picturing the ladder and the steps. And I think it's super helpful because a lot of times we get to that anxiety state and then we're like, just want to go right back down. Yes. Yes. It's very tempting to go right back down. It's easier, but it's not nearly as fun. (laughs) No, no. it was interesting. After you told that story, we got a dog, Ruby, during COVID. And then 
when I think my nervous system was going all over the place. I just love and have attached to Ruby so much. And I think it was partly that, like she helps calm me down. And I just love that. Yeah. Pets are amazing for your nervous system. Any animals. Dogs are awesome because they can actually sense your heart rate. So they like connect with you at a heart rate level, which if you're in sympathetic, your heart rate goes up. It's a physical experience. So they know, oh, I'm going to come snuggle with you, lick your face. It's so great. What would you say to somebody that, you know, they know they have trauma in the past or they might not know it's trauma, but they know there's something there. Like you said earlier, you can just feel it. It's hard to name and you don't know. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when we don't know what it is, it's scary to take the first step. And I'm sure you see this with a lot of people coming into your coaching program. What do you tell them? How do you take the first step and overcome that fear? Yeah, literally the first thing that you need to do and what I do with my clients right away is teach them what safety is. Because a lot of us don't even understand what safety is. If I was to ask, what does safety mean to you? A lot of people can't even really answer that. But all healing comes from safety. So this nervous system stuff is really a big part of that because you're learning to show yourself that you are a safe person to be with and you're learning how to do things in a sense of safety. So safety is like the base. But I actually just yesterday was talking with a client and how she was so stressed about picking through all of her stories. And I said, you know what? In order to heal, you do not have to go through your history with a fine tooth comb. That's not something you have to do. Can you share with people? Absolutely. In safe spaces, that can be very therapeutic. But you don't have to pick apart everything. What, you're, what you need to do is just pay attention to what's going on in your body and release that energy somatically from your body. Somatic just means embodied, like in an embodied way, which is what a lot of this work is. That's why talk therapy is not going to be very effective, especially for trauma survivors. It can actually make things worse because you're reliving the energy in your body and it's not going anywhere. All trauma is stored in the body. A lot of listeners have probably heard of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's a very popular book by Bessel van der Kolk. And that is what it's all about, is that when something traumatic happens to you, even in utero, even as an infant, your body holds it inside of its tissues, literally, like inflammation, fatigue, everything. So if you don't release it, it just stays there forever. So for a person who feels that something is off, but they can't name it, they don't know where it came from, they're not sure they want to go through their history with a fine-tooth comb, like that's okay. What we're going to do is we're going to partner with your body, figure out what the sensations are in your body, and work on releasing that, getting it out of your system. That's going to help a lot. Now, I do also do story work, but it's therapeutic story work where you can start to see what the common threads are in your story, what the patterns are that are repeated so that you can break those patterns and move on to something healthy. If you don't intentionally do that, you may not ever see the pattern that you're repeating over and over again. And this is a process. Every time you level up in your life, 
you're going to see a new pattern that's going to need to be broken, a new thing that you're going to have to work through. But it's a compassionate partnership with yourself. It's not ever something to say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm something is off. There's something wrong. Like it's just saying, how can I help you? Looking at yourself and saying, how can I help you today? And moving through that gently and compassionately. Yeah. Because oftentimes, like you said, we feel shame or we're our critic and it that voice comes in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing a lot of us grew up in a family where honestly, we didn't talk a lot about emotions. We didn't talk a lot about feeling. Mm-hmm. So when, later in life, when you ask me, what are you feeling? It, it took a long time to figure yeah. out. I don't know what I'm feeling mm-hmm. <laughs> until later to learn to name those things. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really cool about somatic work too, because for someone like you, like that, maybe you don't, you can't name the feeling, but I can ask you like, do you have tension in your shoulders? Does your stomach feel tense? And then we can start naming physically what's happening and start to un- untangle it from there. Like what's actually going on? Because your body is going to tell you what you're feeling, even if you can't name it. Yeah, I think that's so important. When you started doing this and we think about your own journey, because it's be the person overcoming obstacles and the obstacle is trauma. But if you think about that, what was one of the biggest obstacles you're going through the journey? And I'm sure everybody hits bumps in the road and I'm sure you did. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, goodness. And yes. And let me just say, no one is fully healed. We're all in process and we're all going to find bumps in the road along the way. I would say one of my biggest obstacles that was just, it was like a absolutely world shattering moment for me when I realized this was learning that I was lovable. Like Mm -hmm. understanding that I was lovable. All of my actions up until a certain point came from having to perform to be loved. Like literally everything that I did was filtered through that lens. And that's a really big thing to have to overcome. And I didn't realize that I didn't think that I was lovable. I I couldn't have put those words to it until I had an experience actually with my son's therapist where we were doing a modality called TheraPlay with him. And it's a modality where the parent comes to therapy with the child and they work on attachment, which was super cool. But the first session, the therapist had me come pretend that I was Emmanuel so that I could experience what it would be like for him. So that I would know what, what to expect for him. So I had to sit on the floor like I'm a little kid and pretend that I was him and the therapist was working with me. And one of the very first things that she did was just reached out for my hand and said, can I see your hand? And she traced the lines in my hand. And she was like, oh, look at your hand. Look at these lines. They're so unique. You're so beautiful. This is really cool. And I had to hold back weeping in that moment because I realized right then when she's holding my hand and tracing the lines in my hand has nothing to do with anything that I've done. This is just who I am. The lines are just there. And she's calling me beautiful. No one has ever done that for me before. Where I recognized that I was lovable 
beautiful and precious just because I was alive. It was a huge moment for me. And from there, I knew like I have to do healing work around this because never before have I experienced the reality that I am precious simply because I am. Not for anything else. That was a huge one to overcome. I'd say I'm still in process of that. Probably most of us are. But having the revelation, that's what I needed to work on was a big one. That is big. And I think you're right. I think when you were talking, I know that I've dealt with that. Like my worth is tied to a performance indicator. Yeah. It's not that I'm lovable just because I am. I'm lovable because of the things I do. Yeah. That's been a big mind shift that I'm still working on right yeah. now. Yeah. And in our culture, we're expected to perform. We get applauded when we get straight A's or we win the spelling B or we're the captain of the football team. That's we learn to earn love that way. So it's something that a lot of us have to rewire is that, you know what? I'm cool. I'm loved because I just am. Yes. And all those accomplishments, they're good things. There's nothing wrong with them. Why you're loved. And I think exactly. Yeah, exactly. I know you do a lot of work. Tell people a little bit more. How would they connect with you? Like if they're hearing this, maybe for the first time and they're Uh thinking, you know what, gosh, I think I do have this. I think I need to figure out and work through some of this. How do people connect with you? Yeah. One of my favorite places to hang out is Instagram. There's a lot of free, helpful content there that I'm putting out every day. My handle is Gabby Ruth, G-A-B-I-R-U-T-H. I also have a website, it's GabbyRuth.com. And I'll, I'll also send you a link, Annie, that you can put in your show notes for anyone who wants to just connect about this specifically. I offer a free 30-minute call. So they can just sign up for a call, 30 minutes, and we can connect about that. I have coaching programs, lots of different things to plug into, but I would love to connect with any of you on one of those calls. That's so generous. Thank you for offering that because I think just having that one-on-one connection, if you're scared, and I just hope our listeners sense and feel because I know that you are and you just come across this way as such a safe person to go Mm -hmm. to. That's like the best compliment you could give me. That's my goal in life is to be a safe space for people. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think you hold that really. And I think just given the work you do, you can see that you're in the right work. And I know the path to get there has been challenging. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. One last thing to end with, any surprises for you along the way? Anything where you look back and you think, I don't know if any of us end up in the place we think we're going to go, but maybe just the biggest surprise for you? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. So many surprises. I thought from childhood that I was going to be living overseas, doing work like in third world countries. I was absolutely set on that. What the surprise has been? is how different my journey has turned out, but how my heart has stayed the same all along. Really, my heart was just to see people set free, living in freedom. And so I never, ever 
saw myself doing like trauma work. No, that was never on my radar at all. But the biggest surprise I think has been just the journey. I'm a faith girl. So just seeing where God has taken this journey so unexpectedly. And sometimes I've been really angry at him about what the heck is going on. But to see where I've ended up is just, it literally makes my jaw drop open. Like this, I never could have created this. I never could have invented this story. It's phenomenal. Wow. You're right. Again, where you're supposed to be, like you could see the hand of God on your life. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love that because you're going to help. You already help a lot of people and I know that you're going to help so many more. So I'll put everything in the show notes to connect with Gabby. If this is something that you would like to work out, I can't say it enough that I think just clicking that one 30 minute call with her could be a game changer in your whole life. Because as much as we want to push down trauma, we have to deal with it and walk through. And you just have amazing tools. Thank you for sharing some of those today. Thank you for having me, Annie. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to Be The Person podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would follow the show and give us a five-star review. We'll see you again next week.